when you see signs in the West that religious freedom is being threatened, does it fill you with worry? Well, David Bile knows what it's like for freedom to be taken away. He tells others about Jesus in the nation of Turkey, where persecution is on the rise. But he encourages all of us to see opportunities for the gospel, even in difficult circumstances. The greatest opportunities are oftentimes right in the midst of the difficulties. So pray that the church would see the divine opportunities in the midst of the problems and then have the the courage and the love to, to seize those opportunities. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. Last week we heard part one of a conversation with David Bile. He is a gospel worker in the nation of Turkey, and he has so much to share with us about being bold in sharing our faith in Christ. If you missed last week's conversation, you can hear it in its entirety at vomradio.net. When we left off last week, David was in a jail cell facing deportation from Turkey. The jail he was in was full of men from all over the world, including a group of ISIS fighters. You know, David didn't give up or get discouraged in that jail cell. Instead, he looked for opportunities to tell the story of what Jesus had done for him. I asked David, how do you start witnessing in such a difficult environment? Well, uh, I didn't go to the ISIS guys, I'll say that, because <laughs> I, I, well, I would have eventually, and they came to me, later, but it was more just the other guys were already interested, and there's so many. And a lot of it is you just love people. You you care for them, and the stories I heard in there would break your heart. A lot of those guys in there were not criminals. They were just there because they are trying to find a better life. Their parents maybe had sold everything they had to, to send them from Pakistan or Afghanistan, hoping to make it to Europe, and they didn't, and now they found themselves in there. It's just it's very heartbreaking, and, and you you just listen and you love and you try to help them as much as you can. And uh, the, it was sad, though, because as I talked about Jesus, it, many times it would be in a group because wherever I would go, there would be guys who would come around to listen because they're curious and they're bored and they got all this time on their hands. And so I would tell them about Jesus. I could see in their eyes that there was interest, but they were so often afraid to let the other guys in the room know that they were interested. And sometimes I would go away and sit on my bunk bed and then one of them would just gently come up sit next to me and tell them that he was interested and wanted to know more but he just didn't dare say it in he front just of wanted others. to keep it on the lowdown yeah now you had an opportunity to minister to some of the Afghans in a just a really practical way yeah with the help of other Christians with the help of your right. wife how did that work to kind of open the door even further yeah well yeah shortly after I arrived in the deportation center there I it was actually the next day. Uh, my wife had arrived to visit me, and she was outside waiting in line to come in. And from the bathroom, I could look down from the window and see her there. So I called out to her, hey, you know, I'm up here. And and there was one Afghan guy who happened to be in the bathroom then, and he heard me speaking in English. So as soon as I did it, he turned to me, hey, and he introduced himself. We'll call him Andy. And Andy uh, had worked for aid agencies in Afghanistan before this, 
just doing medical education in the villages and things like that. And and because he was working for these so-called, you know, Western aid organizations, which in, in the eyes of the Taliban were infidels, uh, he had received a couple death threats from them. And so uh, not long after the, the second death threat, his family felt, felt it was prudent for him to leave. <laughs> yeah. And so he found these smugglers who could get him across the border into Pakistan and then into Iran, where they walked overland into Turkey and then got on a bus, and they were caught right outside of Istanbul. And they brought him to the deportation center there. And they were, like I told you, they were in the room across from the room I was originally in, and it did not smell nice. And no one wanted to go in there because, you know, these guys had been, there's 50 Afghans in there who have been, you know, walking overland for two weeks without a shower and a change of clothes. So I told Andy, I said, let's just go. Uh, my wife's here. She's visiting. I, I can call her on the payphone. I'll have her bring some, some clothes at least for these guys so they can change something to change into. So the next day, my wife brought a big hefty bag full of underwear and socks. And the police, you know, it goes through the police check to make sure there's nothing in it. And I couldn't help but think, what are the police thinking? They're like, wow, this guy's planning on being in here for a long time. 50 pair of underwear. <laughs> and they let it through, thankfully. And so I give that bag to Andy, and he goes in there and does the Santa Claus thing, just giving him out to everyone in there. And that created a sensation. I'm and sure. news spread like wildfire there. And because uh, Andy is trained in this stuff and how to help people, I said, well, let's do it right. I said, take a piece of paper and a pen, interview every single one of those guys, whatever they need. I'll pass it on to my Christian friends here in the town, in the city, and they'll bring it. So he got two pages full of all the needs of those guys. You know, one guy would say, you know, my pants are ripped. I need a size 32 pants. Another guy would say, my shoes are broken. I need a size 42 shoes. And I gave that list to my wife, and they went out and with some other believers in the city, went out spent the whole day shopping and came back with five hefty bags full of stuff, which the police did not allow in this time because they thought that, um, well, I think, to be honest, I think they were ashamed that this so-called infidel was doing all these nice things to help uh, their own people when they had not. And so that was a problem. But the big problem was the ISIS guys, who by now were very, very angry that Andy was helping me like this. And they took him into their room behind the curtain there, and they kicked him around a bit. And they said, if you keep helping that infidel, we're going to pour boiling water on you. And thankfully, all the Afghans were let free before that happened. And shortly thereafter, I was also let free. But uh, what happened is when he was out on the streets, Andy just walked around for a bit, tried to find a place to stay, and ended up getting mugged, all the stuff taken from him. And... Finally, he finds himself with, with nothing uh, late at night in a city center on the other side of Istanbul. He finds a unprotected wireless network, and he still has his phone, thankfully. He, he goes onto Facebook and finds me on Facebook. So he then sends me a desperate message, could you please help me? And I just happen to be online. I see it, and I contact one of my Turkish believer friends on the other side of the city. I say, hey, could you go try and find Andy, this guy I met in prison? So sure enough, my friend, bless his heart, middle of the night, goes over there, finds him, brings him to his house, feeds him, clothes him, gives him a place to sleep. The next day, he helps him make his way to our house. So he comes over. My wife was very happy to see him because she has always wanted to go to Afghanistan, never been able to. And we had a wonderful time. He, he had arrived on a Saturday. All our rooms were full, so he ended up sleeping in the living room. The next morning, Sunday morning, we come down, 
had taken the New Testament off the shelf and been reading it all night. Wow. Yeah. Hungry. Yeah. So he had all these questions about this verse and that verse in the morning we woke up. And he, then he came with us to church. And that blew him away. Because afterwards I said, well, what do you think? He's like, well, this isn't at all like what the mullahs told us it would be. He said, the mullahs <laughs> said, you, you know, you're only supposed to pray for yourself, not for anyone else. And he said, but you Christians, you're, you're praying for one another. And, and the joy, to, I mean, music in worship. In the Quran, there's not a single verse about music. Wow. And here he sees this joyful music, and it just blew him away. And he gave his life to Jesus in a beautiful, wonderful way that day. You get detained for, what, a total of like two weeks, two or three weeks? Uh, that time is just, uh, let's see, eight days. Eight days. You have the chance to lead a Kurdish guy to faith. You have the chance to lead an Afghan guy to faith. I can see why you like the inside of prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, on a total side note, I think, why do we lose so many men from our churches? You know, why do they not come? There's many reasons, but I think one is they sometimes just find it boring. And what my experience has been is living a life for Jesus is the most exciting, most amazing life you could ever have. I mean, I'm not against hunting or fishing or computer games or sports. But they ain't nothing like seeing Jesus do amazing things like this. So I, I want to say this to all the, the Christian men out there is live totally sold out for Jesus. It'll be the most exciting life you ever could live. There's an adventure to be lived. Yeah. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with David Bile. He is a gospel worker in Turkey. Now, as of right now, the the constitutional court, the Supreme Court— has stayed your deportation. They have said, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to let you stay in Turkey at least while we examine this case and figure out mm -hmm. what should happen here. What does that mean? What's the time frame on that? And how did, even in that situation, you saw God's hand yeah. working amazingly? Yeah, well, when we first heard that this last uh, court had decided against me, they said that my Christian propaganda activities had exceeded usual religious rituals. Uh, and therefore members of other religions could see me as a threat, and therefore the government also could see me as a threat to public safety and order. And it was very heartbreaking to see, after all the court cases we'd won, to see we lost this one. But I was also happy, and I hope all of us, if we ever went to court, could be accused of having zeal for Christ that exceeds usual religious rituals. Amen. <laughs> we want we want more of those kind of Christians. Yeah. My lawyer, you know, it's a, she called and she said, no. We're going to appeal this. And you usually can't appeal deportation court cases. And now, in theory, you could appeal all the way to the Supreme Court, but no one does that. Well, my lawyer doesn't like losing court cases. <laughs> so she's like, we are going to appeal right to the top. <laughs> and when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, right. And I'll never, ever, ever forget that day. My lawyer calls me. She says, David, I got some news. I have in my hand a two-page decision from the Supreme Court of Turkey stopping the government from deporting you until they have time to see your case. The same day. Yeah. I mean, you don't get a decision like that from the Supreme Court of a country of 80 million people in six hours. This is a miracle. Absolutely. A week or so after that, I learned that there was this uh, church in Argentina that apparently had been praying for our situation. They'd found out from someone, and they are praying, Lord, help them as they get ready to move to another country. And maybe, you know, we may have to do that too. That's uh, possible. But 
one lady in the church stood up, apparently, I'm told, and she said, no, God can do a last-minute miracle. God could still keep them in the country. And so she managed to persuade the whole church to basically change their prayers to pray for a last-minute miracle. And then, you know, 18 hours later, we have this uh, decision from the Supreme Court. And, of course, you could say that's a coincidence. And I say I've seen way too many of these so-called coincidences. <laughs> they must be God uh, honoring the faith of that woman. Are there any specific scriptures that, that God has kind of shown you or given to you during this process of fighting this case and the uncertainty and I'm leaving, maybe I'll be able to come back, maybe I won't be able to come back, maybe we'll have to all move. Are there any kind of Bible verses or scriptures that God has sort of laid on your heart and said, hey, this is for you right now? Yeah, there have been many. One of them is Psalm 91, where it just says you're just going to stand and watch. You know, God's going to do the victory for you and will protect you amazingly. And he's done that so often in the past. I think Paul is a huge encouragement to me. So many of the things that he, I, I just read the Bible so differently after I've experienced these things. I mean, like in Acts where he says, and now I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me, but the Spirit tells me in every city, imprisonment <laughs> and difficulties are awaiting me. But I love his response. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I can... Uh, finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given to me of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that is, that keeps me going. Amen. One of the things that has happened in Turkey in the last year, there's been a lot of political upheaval. I know I was there last summer. A couple weeks later, there was a bomb in the Istanbul airport. Then a couple weeks after that, there's a coup attempt. There's a crackdown, literally tens of thousands of people arrested, locked into jails. How has all of that affected the church or affected our brothers and sisters in Turkey? They have been uh, naturally worried about this, and it's a difficult time, and the uh, many people are looking for scapegoats and because of the difficulties. And all the people that I know, as well as so many of us foreign Christians, we only want to bless the country. We do not want to cause difficulties. We want to help them. We know this is a difficult time. We're not trying to blame one side or the other. And we, like Scripture tells us, we are praying for the leaders uh, of Turkey that they will make wise decisions for the, the good of their country. One of the cases that, that we've been following, and maybe you can give us some insights, another American, Andrew Brunson, yeah. working in Turkey for a number of years, also initially grabbed for deportation, just yeah. like you were. Hey, yeah. we got to kick this guy out. He's going to leave. Yeah. Now facing trial for allegedly being part of some terrorist organization. Can you give us any insights on, on that case? And is that connected yeah. to the coup and yeah. the others who have yeah. been arrested? Or yeah, how do you help us understand that? Yeah, it's a difficult situation. And with most of the Turkish church leaders that I've spoken with, they all agree that in some ways the government is very disappointed that America has not handed over Fethullah Gulen, who they see as the, the mastermind behind the attempted coup last summer. And so it's a little bit sort of, you could say, like a bargaining chip trying to get uh, America to hand over this guy. Part of it is just frustration at the fact that they're not getting answers the way they want them. And uh, it's just very awkward and political and, uh, and 
I don't go into those areas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, though, you can advise us on, because you've been in some of those prisons and deportation centers, how can we pray for Andrew yeah. while he's there? Yeah. I would say the, the the Turkish government has always been very good to the people I know in 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 jail, you know, in terms of human rights and all that sort of stuff. My concerns aren't in that area. My area would be that that Andrew himself in his spirit is encouraged and experiencing the joy of the Lord every day because you can get discouraged, especially when these things drag on way longer than you expected it to. So pray for just his heart, uh, that he could just stay full of joy and full of the spirit every day, and also for his wife and kids. The guy in prison gets all the limelight, but it's uh, it's really tough for their loved ones oftentimes. So I know there are people who are who are helping his wife and kids, but uh, you know, sending letters to his his wife would be a great thing to do. That's a great advice. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with David Bile. He is a gospel worker in Turkey. David, how do we pray for the nation of Turkey, especially during this season of kind of upheaval and political turmoil? Help us to pray more knowledgeably for that country. So many people from history and bad things they've experienced uh, in the Muslim world, they're so uh, suspicious and untrusting of Christians because they feel they've been betrayed or hurt or attacked or whatever. And we need to pray that the people there would see the love of Christ that motivates us and and see that we only really want to bless them and help them. And pray for the church. This the the people in the Turkish church with whom I speak, there is a lot of worry and concern and very Naturally, this can lead to sort of a, a fear to, to go out and try new things or whatever. But I've, I've seen so often that the greatest opportunities are oftentimes right in the midst of the difficulties. So pray that the church would see the divine opportunities in the midst of the problems and then have the, the courage and the love to, to seize those opportunities. That's David Bile encouraging us to look for opportunities that the Lord opens up to share the gospel with those around us. That reminds me of an encouraging story that I received from a Voice of the Martyrs radio listener a couple weeks ago. You can share your thoughts with me by sending me an email. The email address is radio at vom.org. Radio at vom.org. This letter is from a woman right here in America And I got to tell you, it made my whole week, and I wanted to share her story with you. Listening to VOM Radio has been life-changing. Last year, when I heard John and Mary share about the loneliness of Middle Easterners in the U.S. and the simple ways to establish friendships, I thought, I can do that. Then, unexpectedly, my husband took a job in a college town, and we moved. It wasn't easy, because I loved where we were— ministering in the jail, helping the homeless, supporting feeding programs, attending the perfect inner-city church. Now, in an affluent area, I was searching for my place. The first week after the move, my husband thought we needed a break from the packing and unpacking and scheduled a tour through a scenic area near us. At the start of the tour, I noticed a young couple I assumed were from Pakistan or India 
I thought of the broadcast and then noticed the social atmosphere of the tour group. People were talking and sitting in restaurant-style booths, but no one seemed to notice or talk to this couple. I prayed quietly during the hours riding out to our destination. But on the way back, my husband and I asked the young couple to sit with us. We talked and learned that they were from India and were Hindus. At the end of the tour, I gave Ariana, the woman, my email and told her I would love to get together with her. Please email me, I said, thinking phone calls might be difficult with some language barriers. I prayed and prayed for her, and a few weeks later, she emailed me. She doesn't drive, so I picked her up and had her over to our home. After praying and asking God to show me how to plan the day, I asked Ariana to teach me how to cook an Indian dish. We had so much fun. She told me, this is a dream come true. I wanted to go to an American's home, and you are the first that asked me. This was exactly what John and Mary had said. I have continued to learn Indian cooking, scheduling every other week times with Ariana. We pray and share, and God is stirring our hearts. After each visit, she sends me texts saying how much she loved our time together. I feel the same, too. I just love Ariana. We invited her and her husband to our home for an American Thanksgiving in January, but we did it. In November, I talked to the pastor of the church we were attending. I told him I still felt like a fish out of water with the move, but as I shared my heart, he got out his phone and asked for my number and texted a lady named Sally in a nearby college town who has also a heart to reach Muslim women. She and I became prayer buddies and have times of prayer and fasting and waiting on God. In the past few months, God has used two of the recent broadcasts on India to wake me up. And I discovered the apartment where my friend lives seems to be full of people from India. I had not noticed that before. I am now praying, what next, Lord? And I'm pretty sure it involves a huge step of faith. When I listened to the recent broadcast about India, I felt a burning inside. God is doing something in me. Yesterday, Sally and I had our first small group meeting with a Hindu, a Muslim, and three Christians. Our ages ranged from 28 to over 70. We had a woman from North Africa teach us a dessert and coffee recipe. We all prayed, laughed, shared, prayed, and then prayed again. When I took Ariana home, she was glowing. She shared how very much the small group meant to her. Sally took the Muslim woman home and told me she'd said the same thing. Both of them asked when we would get together again. God is working. He is working in the lives of the women we are ministering to, but he is also doing something in us. The love I have for the women we have met is beyond what I could have imagined. It is not about seeing how many people I can lead to the Lord. It is about seeing and loving people the way God sees and loves, loving them into the kingdom. My trademark verse has been Romans 2, 4. It is his kindness that leads to repentance. We are being his kindness. And as we are being his kindness, he is doing a work in and through us.
What an amazing example of putting into practice right here in the U.S. what we've heard from Christians living and working in restricted and hostile nations around the world. The stories that you hear on Voice of the Martyrs Radio really will open your eyes to watch for how God is at work and the doors that he's opening right in front of you. You can hear past episodes and receive that encouragement for yourself by visiting vomradio.net. Again, that web address, vomradio.net. And if, if a story has encouraged you, I hope you'll send me an email as well. That email address, radio at vom.org, radio at vom.org. And I hope you'll be back with us again next week. We're going to hear an amazing testimony from a man who was a prisoner for Christ in the nation of Uzbekistan. You're going to hear how God supported him in a dark place. God worked miracles on his behalf in the prison. I know that you'll be encouraged, so come back and join us next week right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.